day 248 welcome back to the windows and mirrors podcast my name is keith and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the bible is more like a window than it is a mirror we come to it to see through it and to see god not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves all right so man this is the last day of the first book of the new testament this is the last day of the book of matthew and in the book of matthew we're here at matthew 25 matthew 25 is a very um kind of popular chapter um but it's continuing like we talked about last time um the last big block of teaching that christ has right and so matthew 25 the teaching is going to end and he's here talking again about the last days right and so you know, last time we talked about how the end of the age would come and all that kind of stuff. And Christ is going to continue with that theme, but just with a slightly different angle. Right. And so the first parable he's going to speak about here is the parable of the 10 virgins. Right. He's going to say, yo, half were wise, half were foolish. The foolish didn't properly prepare for the groom's coming when the wise did by taking oil for their lamps. Right. And so he says, yo, the groom comes, the groom is going to come in the middle of the night. And at that point, it's unexpected, right? And this is all Christ is trying to say in this parable. He says, listen, the kingdom of God is coming at a time when no one expects it, right? The kingdom doesn't just come in an unlikely way, like he would say in Matthew 13, but it comes in an unexpected point in time as well. And those that were wise and had oil for their lamps were permitted into the wedding banquet, right? And the interesting thing here is that, man, verses 10 to 12 of chapter 25 actually echo back to chapter seven. In other words, the haunting passage that um, talks about, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. What Christ is saying here is that the foolish, those who don't prepare themselves for the coming of God's kingdom, right? are essentially false converts and false believers. In other words, you're not really saved if you're not preparing yourselves for the coming of Christ's kingdom at the end of time, right? And so follow that. he follows that up with the parable of the talents. And now a talent in this day and age, in the first century, was worth 6,000 6, days worth of wages, right? And that's a lot of money, right? And in the parable, however, um, it doesn't represent necessarily just that he's trying to draw this point that it represents the many gifts and privileges and resources and opportunities that Christ presents us in this life. And he's saying, yo, only those who steward them well, even in what seems like this daunting delay of my coming are those that inherit the kingdom. Right. That's all he's saying. And so, man, this is a, you know, calling for us to take everything we have and steward them for God's glory because we know um yeah what they're meant for and why they were given to us finally he talks about the end of the age and where you know he'll separate the sheep from the goats so he'll say yo the son of man is coming in all of his glory he's going to come to judge the earth and he's going to put the sheep the righteous sheep on his right side and the unrighteous goats on his left and basically, he divides everybody in human history to ever live into two groups, right? And you know, listen, you know what the distinguishing mark of the two people are? Not how many times you've read the Bible, not many times how many times you've attended church, not even how many times you've shared the gospel with your friends and with your neighbors. As important as those things are, Christ says those that 
clothed the naked, cared for the stranger, fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty. These are, as he said in Matthew 23, the weightier matters matters of the law, right? And they're not, listen, they're not an entry fee for getting into the kingdom, but instead are a characteristic for those who are actually in. Christ says, yo, caring for the least of these shows that you actually are one of my sheep, right? And at the end of time, the son of man is going to come in all power and he's going to judge. And those who are his sheep are those who will be with him in the kingdom. Chapter 26 begins. And basically, um, chapter 26 is going to start off and say, you know, after Jesus had finished saying these things. Right. And every time that happens, we know that there's a break in the narrative. A big block of teaching has just ended. So 26, 27 and 28 into the book, we have Jesus's trial and his death and his resurrection. Right. So, you know, um, in chapter 26 specifically, we're going to have the plot, the anointing, the celebration of Passover, uh, Christ's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, the actual betrayal of Judas Iscariot. Uh, and even the trial before the Sanhedrin. Now, interesting and often overlooked in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus has two trials, right? Most people don't even realize that. They kind of compress it into one, but it's actually two trials, right? So here in 26, he goes before the Jewish Jewish uh, Sanhedrin, and here in the Jewish trial, notice the way he is questioned and accused, right? He is said to have spoken of destroying the temple. Ah, that's disrespectful in Jews' eyes, right? However, what you know you and i know is that they took his words out of context they misunderstood him um and after that you know they ask him yo tell us whether you're the messiah the son of the living god right and jesus is like yo you said it right he's like you said it and he's going to quote daniel 7 and psalm 110 right and these yeah any jew in that day would know that these are key very important texts that would have been understood as referring to the Messiah and Jesus applies them to himself. And so because Christ claims to have this authority of God to sit next to his right hand, all this good stuff, they said, yo, based on texts like Leviticus 24, where the penalty of blaspheming the living God was death, you can be condemned to die. Right. And so the text will say, yo, then they spat in his face and beat him. Right. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who was it that hit you? As a result, we see that Christ is unjustly beaten and persecuted for sins that he didn't commit, but for the sins that these people are committing. Just the irony of the kingdom that Matthew is showing in this gospel is that, man, the king comes to die, not to conquer his enemies, physically with force and with military power but to actually die for them chapter 27 king jesus is handed over to the roman governor pontius pilate right we all know who pontius pilate is um so before in 26 we had the jewish trial here in 27 we have the roman trial right and the narrative is interestingly enough interrupted by judas iscariot's hanging of himself out of guilt for selling the messiah out for 30 pieces of silver right and so uh, we have that part. And then, you know, in the actual trial, Jesus is asked by Pontius Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? Right. And he doesn't reply. Right. He doesn't give a straightforward answer. And according to Roman law, silence was simply an admission of guilt. 
right? And yet at the same time, Jesus is fulfilling Isaiah 53 verse 7 that spoke of him not opening his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. All throughout this text, listen, all throughout this text, side note, we see the narrative of Christ's passion and death, but all throughout we get hints that this was the plan of God, right? This was how the kingdom was going to come about, right? He said in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, let your will be done, right? And so this is the will of God, even though lawless men are crucifying Christ. Anyway, Barabbas is, um, you know, uh, released at the festival. A crown of thorns is placed on Christ's head. He is crucified between two criminals, the whole nine yards. Um, in 2719, though, we have this interesting detail that shows just the limitless grace of God, even as they are crucifying his very own son. Pilate's wife has a dream. And the text says this while he was sitting on the judge's bench talking about Pilate, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For today, I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him in these days greeks and romans believed that the gods communicated to them in dreams and now we must remember too though at the beginning of matthew god spoke to joseph right in two dreams right as he was you know as well like as he told him you know flee from egypt or flee to egypt i'm sorry um because herod's trying to kill all the, the infants and he also said yo mary's gonna get pregnant right by the holy spirit um uh, talking about the uh, immaculate conception. So we have here God again revealing himself in dreams, even to Pontius Pilate's wife as her husband is crucifying the son of God, right? How amazing is God's grace and mercy that he would even, he didn't have to do that. And yet their hearts were still hard and they still crucified Christ. Um, you know, commentators often point out that the Jews didn't have the power to crucify Christ themselves. And so they are constantly mentioned all throughout, even 27 in the Roman trial, as those who vehemently urged Pontius Pilate and the Roman officials to grow, go through with this process. And Matthew, in being the most Jewish gospel we have, is pointing us back again to the fulfillment of Israel's history. Over and over again, they had persecuted the prophets, and ironically, the Messiah they had been waited, they had been waiting for to save them. You know what they do? They kill him, right? They kill him. And as I said before, the killing of the Son of God was so that the sins of the world could be paid for. The interesting thing is that we have this Jewish trial and this essentially Gentile trial to show that they both were culpable in putting Christ on the cross. And the irony of the kingdom is, is that God is going to use the crucifying of his king <laughs> to save both of them. He, he's going to use the crucifixion of King Jesus to save both Jews and Gentiles, the very two groups of people, only two groups of people <laughs> in the world that yeah, killed his son. The kingdom that we have been talking about throughout this entire books come comes to bear in history by way of a crucified king, one who brings the reign of God, not apart from suffering, but through suffering. All right. Matthew 28, Matthew 28. The narrative progresses. We're told that the setting is the first day of the week. The Sabbath has ended. It is now technically Sunday, right? Both Marys, both Marys are on the way to the tomb to see Jesus. And to their surprise, they find the angel of the Lord there. And he says this, don't be afraid. 
because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Right. And later in the narrative, we're going to see that Christ appears to them. He meets the rest in Galilee, just as he said over and over. And these things, um, you know, all come to bear in this text. And he leaves us with these departing words at the end of Matthew 28, what Christians have historically called the Great Commission. He says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Seven quick things I think we learn here, and then we'll be done with our first gospel. Number one, they speak, these words speak of the authority that Jesus has on both heaven and earth. He, in one person, through the bringing of his kingdom, has come to unite both realms. So remember, I said before, he always talks about my father in heaven, in heaven, in heaven, in heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. What Christ is saying here, no, 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 I have all authority in both realms and I'm coming to unite both of them as well. Right. Number two, his resurrection. Right. Christ rising from the dead is God vindicating him as righteous. Right. It is the reward he receives from the father by the spirit for his perfectly righteous life. Number three, nonetheless, because of all the power he has, the yes, crucified and now resurrected king uh, commissions us to go. He came and now we go. Right. Because he came, we go. He fulfills the divine mission. Right. And now empowers us for mission. Number four, he shows us. This a disciple isn't just a follower of Jesus, but a follower of Jesus who helps others follow Jesus and creates other followers of Jesus. Right. A follower of Jesus isn't just somebody who follows Jesus, who follows Jesus, but who helps others follow Jesus and creates other followers of Jesus. Number five, this is a multi-ethnic, multicultural reality. Right. The Great Commission is meant for all nations. That's why he says all nations. Right. All of the ethnos, right? Literally in the Greek, the word is ethnos and where we get our word ethnicity from. And this is not just for Jews or just for Gentiles, but everyone in between. Number six, discipleship doesn't stop at conversion. Let me say that again. Discipleship does not stop at conversion. We want people saved, but we also want them to to obey everything our great shepherd king would require. And finally, number seven, the Great Commission anticipates, excuse me. Pentecost. All throughout the gospel, Christ will say, I will be with you to the end of the age. And yet he is with us because of the Holy Spirit being with us. Right. He is the one who empowers us to carry out the mission of the father. Based on the work of the son through the power of the spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for bringing the kingdom of heaven as we've seen in the book of Matthew. The royal king from the line of David doesn't just die, but resurrects for us. And now we are to be his agents of kingdom renewal in the world around us today and forever. We love you and we thank you for inviting us in.